You may be seated. Hey, thanks for being here today. However you got here, man, we're just honored that you join us, Pacific Coast Church. My name is Pastor JF. Just an honor to be a part of this wonderful family. And uh, God's doing great things. Uh, and, uh, you know, we got a lot of stuff going on here at PCC. Many of you know uh, that it's February, which the month of February is Black History Month. And we as a nation obviously are acknowledging that, but, but we as PCC, we are a part of that too. So I, I set that up because I wanted to make sure that you're following us, uh, PCC that is, on all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, make sure you're following us so that uh, you can get our weekly, every week during this month, we're highlighting a great African-American that touched this country. And so if you'd like to be a part of that and read those stories, make sure you're following us on social media, and we, we send that out every week. It's really, really cool, and so we're a part of that. Also, that's where all of, all of the information, if it's what's going on, all of the different activities and, and small groups, make sure you're going to our website so you can check all that stuff out. I got a few announcements here. Uh, before we get to the sermon today, um, Ash Wednesday is just right around the corner. Ash Wednesday, you'll see it up there on the screen, which is February 22nd. Uh, obviously, it's a Wednesday, and we will be gathering at noon on Facebook Live to commemorate that day as really Ash Wednesday, many of you know, is the lead up to Easter. It's the 40 days before Easter and Ash Wednesday, we'll break it down a little bit more on that on that Wednesday on Facebook Live. But really, the symbolism and 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 really the spiritual discipline on that day is is focused on repentance, preparing our hearts, remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so we will have uh, the ash provided today, right here. I got it in my pocket. This little packet right here. You can get this on the way out for you and your family, so you can you can put that on your on your forehead, and you can you can walk walk into the bank. You know what I'm talking about, and you just hope someone says, "What's that on your forehead?" Do you got a half an hour? Let me explain it to you. You know what I'm saying? So I love it because I, I I put it on in the morning and go about my day, and people are like. I saw like six other people at Safeway with that. What's that all about? So it's a, cool, it's a cool opportunity to share your faith. And so those will be provided today. Make sure you get that and uh, participate with us on Ash Wednesday. Also, we want to highlight, I don't know if some of you know this, but did you know that PCC has an in-house theologian? Oh, yes. Dr. Ken Ecker, who is who is actually uh, uh, pastoring our deaf church uh, right through the doors, right in there right now. But he's a part of PCC. We're honored that he's a part of this uh, house. But he's going to be leading some Bible studies. You'll see it up there on the screen. The first one is February 15th. And I'm telling you, so that, that's this week. He is giving a, a teaching, make sure you're part of it, on how to study the Bible. How many of you know that you know, sometimes just even how to begin, how to study the Bible can be daunting. I mean, I mean I, I've been doing this for a long time, and there's even times with me, it's like, man, this is like kind of overwhelming. I am telling you, uh, Pastor Ken's going to break it down, so make sure you're a part of that. And then, of course, he's going to be uh, giving, so that's, that's, two, that's two Wednesdays in a row, 15th and the 22nd, and then he's going to do one more Bible study on the book of First John, First John, and that will be... Um, in the month of March. So make sure you check that out. You can get all of that information. You can sign up online and be a part of that. I think I've got all the announcements, right? Awesome, awesome. Hey, well, I just want to encourage us right now in our giving, our tithes and offerings. If this is your first time or you're just checking us out, don't feel obligated to participate in this area of our worship. This is really for those of us who call PCC home. And man, I, you know, just watching uh, all of the reports coming in from that just devastating earthquake. I think the numbers are over 30,000 that have passed now, and, and just, the, just the devastation and the heartache. I mean, just the scenes, it's overwhelming. And uh, I just want you to know that we reached out to our uh, partners, World Vision, who when you give, part of your giving goes to that organization. When you give, part of your giving goes to organizations like World Relief. And these are organizations that 
are on the ground, boots on the ground right now. In fact, we reached out to World Vision this week, and they let us know that they have mobilized in northern Syria and in northern Turkey even today some of the needs that are like that they have to have right now that their, that World Vision is supplying is, is um, fuel of all kinds. Uh, gas, propane, all of the things to help with heat, just to, just to like kind of get infrastructure back. Uh, medical supplies, they have uh, uh, medical practitioners on the ground right now, all, like right where in the hardest hit areas. And I don't know, it was just, when I got that information, it was like, wow, it's so incredible to be a part of really the kingdom of God in general, but these specific efforts that when things like this happen, we are, a, you, you and me, we're a part of like, like healing right out of the gate. And so I want you to know that when you give, you give to organizations like that, that are able to do, to do the things that we can't uh, yet. Uh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm in the philosophy of, you know, as JF, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I just want to partner with people that are doing great things for the kingdom of God and say, how can we help you? You, you know how to do this great. And so I, w- I just wanted to give that report because I got some different uh, messages on, you know, Jed, how, how, how is the church helping? Well, this is what we're doing initially, and as we get more information, we'll be able to do very more, more pers- personal type things. So I just want to say thank you for that. God's doing so much within our church, and I want to say thank you for that. And, of course, many of you know that we are intentionally, aggressively looking for a permanent space. And, and how many of you know that some of, you know, when it comes to real estate, when it comes to especially commercial real estate, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm just like chomping at the bit. And they're just like, we're going to meet about that in six weeks. Well, can you do it now? Well, we've got other stuff going on, right? Now, obviously, I'm not specific with the six-week thing, but it feels like that, right? It's like, hurry up. But here, here's what I want to say. How many of you know that God's got the right space for us? He's got it. He's going to open the doors when, when he's ready, ready for that perfect special opportunity just for us. So I'm not discouraged. I'm excited for what's going to happen. And so it's just kind of fun as we travel on this journey. All right. Hey, let me pray as uh, before we give and and bless this moment. Of course, there's different ways that you can give online or even with here with our friends. All right. Let me pray. And then I need you to buckle up because we have, yes, we have the best preacher in the house in just a minute here. God, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your, uh, just your, your outpouring of generosity on Pacific Coast Church. God, I bless so many of my friends in this room that give financially that, to your work at, at, at a very specific, uh, specific uh, moment in, in, in what you're doing, Pacific Coast Church. Thank you, God, for sustaining us, but not just sustaining us, Lord Jesus, you are providing in such a way that allows us to do great things in this community. And so, Lord God, keep giving us new vision. Keep speaking to us. Thank you. Bless every person right now as they give. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Be blessed. Good morning, Pacific Coast Church. Yeah, I love when you talk back to me. My name is Pastor Ashley Wilkerson. I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. And I'm excited about this series, Emotional. Emotional, dealing with feeling. And how many of you uh, either caught it in person or online? Pastor JF's sermon last week, he launched it in incredible ways. He talked about the idea of where our emotions come from. And I think that's so incredibly important. But today, We're going to talk about something that really a lot of the world is talking about this week, right? Those of you who don't know, Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Husbands, I just saved your marriage. (laughs) Get to Fred Meyer somewhere, buy something, right, for her. (laughs) It's a big deal. And And we love the idea of ebbing and flowing with what culture is already talking about and then leaning in to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say on the exact same topic. And so today we're going to talk about love. But if you've been with us for even a minute, 
you know that we've taught over and over and over that love, according to scripture, is an action. It's a choice, right? But it can be kind of confusing because our emotions get all wrapped up in it too. And I believe that the great theologian, Tina Turner, asked the right question, didn't she? And she kind of answered it. Uh, come on, you guys know this song. What's love got to do, got to do with it? But she answers it, right? She says, what's love but a secondhand emotion? Woo! Tina, preach it to us. Right? And so we kind of understand, of course, that according to Scripture, it's an action but we also understand that it's got all sorts of emotions wrapped up in it. And so it's important to kind of dive in and start to get a grip of what all of this love has got to do, right? And we answer Tina and we're like, well, Scripture said everything. That's what love has to do with it. But we want to talk about that today. And when JF and I were planning out this series, I'm excited for the other ones. He's going to talk about anger next week. That's going to be really powerful. And then I'm going to kind of tackle the emotion of fear. The following week, we're going to talk about that. But we were planning this series out, and he's like, oh, well, you know, this week is, is Valentine's, so why don't that week you preach about love? And tell him, tell him the truth. I said, I don't want to preach about that. That is not okay to say, right? I'm like, babe, first of all, I'm the female preacher, and I don't want to preach about love. That feels too freely, right? But then, just being real, these are our conversations. But second of all, I'm like, babe, I don't feel like I'm really slaying the love game lately. I just don't. I, I, I love my family. I love my husband. But I am still wrestling in the core of my being with loving some people that hurt me. I'm still wrestling with this. And so, and I'm talking to JF about this. And he says, well, babe, maybe that's exactly why you need to preach on it. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> so today... We're going to dive in together and talk about a very specific part of love. Also, most of you know, JF referenced it, tonight is the Super Bowl. Now, I am wearing red. It does not mean I am a Chiefs fan. If, if both teams could lose, then I would be happier, maybe. I don't know. Is that allowed to say to you? I, I literally don't care. But you know what I do care about? Marcus, where are you? He's here. He's here. There you are. Marcus is a huge Georgia Bulldog fan. No, not at all. I am wearing red not for the Chiefs, but maybe for Valentine's Day and the Georgia Bulldogs, which is where I grew up, if you're not aware. And so I'm still a Bulldog fan. And this year, the Bulldogs won again the national championship and it was an incredible game and I was thinking about football this week with the Super Bowl and I was thinking about that game and how we were watching the game together as a family because I make them all be UGA fans with me right like it's, there's not an option and uh, and pentatonics which is um, a music group started the the national championship off with the Star Spangled Banner. And so I call Izzy, my daughter Israel, who sang last week, you know, she's really into singing. And I'm like, Izzy, 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 hurry, 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 come, come, I want you to hear them. I'm sure it's going to be phenomenal, right? Because they usually pick just some of the best artists to sing for these big high-end games. And so she runs in and, I'm, and we listen and it was so beautiful. They knocked it out of the park. But as it cut to commercial, I said, now baby, I feel like I need to show you the best the Star Spangled Banner has ever been sung. And we're going to have to go, you know exactly what I'm talking about, to YouTube to hear Whitney sing it. 
And so I'm searching through YouTube and we find Whitney Houston's version and I cry every time because she's just, oh, Whitney. And, and so I'm, I'm showing my Izzy this and I said, baby, you got to understand the Star Spangled Banner is one of those songs that literally is one of the hardest to sing because of the range, right? Like it has such an incredible, powerful range and it's so huge. And I mean, Whitney just nails it in ways that it, I believe have never been done before or since. And, and so we watch it and you know, I'm crying and the whole thing. And then she kind of scampers off to her room. And later that afternoon, I hear my Izzy in her room listening to Whitney sing the national anthem on her little like Alexa dot or whatever it is, the Amazon dot. And I knock on her door and I said, hey baby, what are you doing? And she said, mommy, you told me this song is the hardest one to sing, right? And I said, well, yeah, it's definitely one of the hardest. And she said, so if I learn this, all the rest of them are gonna be easy. And I said, I love that. I love that way of thinking. Yes, let's do that. And can I present to you that that's what I want to do today? I want to talk about what for me right now is the hardest part of love. And I feel like if we can start to get a grasp on what I believe is the hardest part of this command of loving, then I believe the other parts of loving might come a little easier. And so today, you guessed it, we're going to talk about loving our enemies. Loving our enemies. And to do it this morning, I want to talk about three revolutionary ideas that Jesus presents to us. He does it over and over in scripture, these three ideas that he presents. And if we can grasp or even start to grasp these three ideas, I believe it will be revolutionary for us in regards to our ability to love even our enemies. And the very first one that I want to talk about is this concept of neighbors and enemies. Neighbors and also enemies. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 if you have your Bibles or it'll be on the screens. We're going to go to Jesus's most famous sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. We'll start in verse 43. This is Jesus talking. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I want to stop right there because Jesus isn't quoting any other scripture. You know, sometimes he'll say, you've heard it said, and he's quoting the Old Testament. This is not him quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the way that we normally operate. It was the operation of that culture and that time then, and it kind of is now, is it not? And so Jesus is referencing that, but then he turns it all on his head. Look at verse 44. But I tell you, So this is how you're normally operating, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. When I read this, I have this argument, I have this like desire in my head and my heart where I'm like, Lord, why couldn't you make this just a little more gray? Right? Like, if it was just a little more gray and not black and white, then I feel like we'd be able to just sail right over it, you know, and and discount it, right, as one of those scriptures that we don't really understand, and so we don't really practice. But Jesus himself says that if you are to be a child of God, meaning if you are to be a follower that represents him that represents his father's heart our father's heart then this is what we have to do and it doesn't come easy but i think sometimes we misunderstand even this command and we think that if we're to love our enemies 
then that means we're going to have warm fuzzies about them. But that's not what Scripture says. When Scripture talks about loving your enemies, he's talking about responding to them, not out of anger, not out of hate, not out of revenge, but out of the love that God has given us. It's all about our responding. But Jesus doesn't just leave us there. I love even reading this because there are times even that I'll say to myself, well, you know, but I don't really have enemies. Anybody ever read that? And you're like, okay. Like, I I don't really have someone that I would deem an enemy. Did you know that in the original language, that word enemy actually just means someone that disagrees with you? Oh, Lord, maybe I do, right? Anybody got anybody on the planet they disagree with? Yeah. And the Lord says, those people that you disagree with, that might have a different perspective, that might be against your viewpoint or your way in any regard, yeah, act lovingly toward them. Wow, that's hard, right? But Jesus doesn't just talk to us about enemies. He also talks to us about neighbors. And I, I want to go there. Because there's, we read scripture sometimes and we don't, we don't really put it in the perspective of we are still today dealing with almost the identical things that they dealt with in Jesus' time. And we see this in Luke 10. If you start in verse 25, scripture says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay? Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies to him with a question, which is very rabbinic, right? In verse 26, he says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He, meaning the expert in the law, answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ding, ding, ding. He got it right, right? Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But, everybody say but. But But he wanted to justify himself. He, meaning that teacher who knew the law inside and out, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus another question. And who is my neighbor? Right? Right? This is just like us, isn't it? Yes. Well, wait, but who's my neighbor again? Do I, who do I really have to love? What I love is that this is, is and was such a common question that was asked of rabbis in that time. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And the most common answer that rabbis and teachers would give in Jesus' time was with a very specific story. And in this story, the original story that rabbis of that time would teach, it was told something like this. There was a man who was traveling, and he was robbed and beat up and left on the side of the road for dead. And in the original story, it's told, especially in Jesus' time, it was told that a priest and a Levite both passed by this Jew that had been beat up and left for dead. Both passed by and did not help him. They had very specific reasons, but they did not help. In the original story, the third person that comes by this Jew laying left for dead is a common, no-title Jew. And in Jesus' time, that would be the story told. When you ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? Or, or a rabbi, who is my neighbor? They would explain that story, and the hero of the story was a common, no-titled Jew. And so the lesson was always, you got to love Jews no matter their title. Yeah. 
You have to love your people no matter what position they have. Luke 10, Jesus gets asked, who's my neighbor? And what does Jesus do? He goes and tells a story, the exact same story. And as he begins to tell that story, everyone's nodding and going, yeah, no, we know we're supposed to love all the Jews, regardless of their title, position, education. And Jesus says, no, the, the person who comes along the path is actually a Samaritan. <gasps> what? Jesus, you got the story wrong. No, 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 it's not a Samaritan. No, 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 we don't agree at all with the Samaritans. In fact, they're the race that the Jews hated most in that time. They didn't even believe they were human. And Jesus said, oh, no, that third person that came along, Samaritan. And they're all like, no, 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 no. And then he says, who was the good neighbor? And they all look at Jesus and they're like, man, you, you've got this wrong. And Jesus said, no, 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 who I'm calling you to love is even the person that disagrees with you. I'm calling you to love the least of the ones that you have so much hate and I'm calling you to be that neighbor. That's your neighbor. That's who I'm calling you to love. The one that's the most difficult for you. The one that you've been taught that you can't possibly. <laughs> Matthew 5. Jesus is reiterating this exact same concept. He does it over and over in Scripture. Verse 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Man, what is he saying here? He's saying, my nature is that I bless both. We don't like that. I don't like that. I don't love seeing people blatantly doing evil and they seem blessed. And yet, that is the operation that our God has had toward us from the beginning. And we don't want to talk about that because that feels, eh. That feels like, mm, no, that, that doesn't feel, no, no, no. Romans 5, 8 said that God demonstrates his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies of God, he gave it all for us. And we say we want to follow him? Do you really want to be like Jesus? Man, the Holy Spirit wrecked me on that this week. How are you going to be my child when you just want to love the way everybody else loves? You can't be my beacon of light showing the truth of my love if you're unwilling to love some because I died for all. I died for all. Really, really hard stuff. But how will we ever point others to his love until we're willing to start trying to love in the way that he directs? First point, that radical teaching on neighbors and enemies. That our neighbor is literally the person that we might like the least. And that our enemy could even just be that person that disagrees with us. Number two, I'm calling this one a third way. A third way. In Luke 6... Scripture is really clear in verse 20, which is before where we're going to jump in. Scripture like actually points out that Jesus is looking at his disciples. Like there may have been other people there, but Jesus is like, this is for you. Don't miss this. And then he drops this bomb. Look at it. 
starting in verse 27. But you who are listening, because some of y'all here, but you ain't listening. I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I want to stop there because I want to dispel this myth that to love someone, you have to do life with them. You don't. To love them, you don't have to have warm fuzzies about them. You don't have to go and have dinner, accept them back into your life. No, no, no. But you are to bless them. You're to do good. You're to act out of love toward them. And that's huge. Verse 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, Matthew 5 actually goes even more specific and says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, we're coming back to that. Jesus says in both accounts to turn to them the other also. This is brutal. All right, we're going to dive into this today because I've heard this taught in what I consider a false way. I've heard it actually even weaponized against people to try and get you to be a doormat. And I want to show you the cultural implications here because I don't believe that is what Jesus is saying at all. Okay? But I want to show you specifically, but before I show you, there's a few things that you need to understand. In Jesus' time and today, there are typically two ways to encounter abuse, injustice, uh, victimization, hurt, pain, right? There's usually two ways. Number one, fight. Number two, what? Flight, Flight. yes. Fight or flight. That was the two main ways people would respond in Jesus' day. And it really is the two main ways that people respond today. I believe that in this moment of talking about cheeks, (laughs) that Jesus is presenting to us, what? A third way. A third and a more godly, loving way. Because sometimes... The way that we show love to someone that is trying to hurt us is this third way. And in fact, Jesus instructs us in this. But there's a couple things that you need to understand. In Jesus' time, it was, and really the Middle East still is today, a high honor culture. Right? High honor, high shame. They really operate in those principles. And There were a few things that we have to understand that we don't really understand in our setting right now. But one is that to slap someone is truly an insult. Okay, Pastor Ashley, we understand that. Okay, right? If if someone's trying to slap you, they are trying to insult you. But there were specific types of hitting that were attributed to specific messaging. Okay? So if you were to punch someone, that was only reserved for people of equal standing. If you were to punch someone in any regard, especially in a public setting, that was only reserved for someone that you saw on your same level. Now, slaps were reserved for people that you saw as your subordinate. Understand that any time someone was viewed as slapping, it was because they didn't view that other person as equal. Now, don't let me lose you here because this is a big deal. Also, in addition to that, in that culture, you never touched anyone with your left hand. The left hand, we'll just say it like this for my more skittish people, the left hand was reserved for dirty things. Right? So you never touched a person with your left hand. So now I want to go back to this idea of Jesus saying, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, 
then you are to turn and offer them the other cheek. So in that moment, we know a couple things, don't we, now? That the person is slapping, so they're immediately telling that individual, I see you as a subordinate, you're inferior, you're not equal to me. And then secondly, it had to be a backhanded slap because they could only use their right hand. If they used their left hand, they would be shamed. They literally would be outcast for sometimes weeks at a time, like put out of society. Think about that. So you're talking about a right hand hitting a right cheek. Now, it is Valentine's Day, and I thought the visual would be really powerful. So I'm going to ask my baby to come help me show this, okay? You'll be like, not only did they let the girl preach, but she slapped somebody on stage. What are they doing? I won't slap you, baby. All right, show everybody which one is your right cheek. Okay, so we got his right cheek, okay? We know that I cannot hit him with my left hand or I'll be outcast, right? So here I am with my right hand and I'm gonna slap. Now, I want, I want you to see this for a second. So if I'm slapping, Boom, our acting skills, right? So if I'm slapping and that propels him that way. Now, Jesus said, if someone does that to you, you have to introduce this third way. And you offer them the other cheek. But I want you to see what has to happen to do that. When he offers me his other cheek, what happens first? I have to see him face to face. I have to look the person that I'm trying to degrade, the person that I'm trying to call subordinate or inferior, I have to see them face to face. I have to encounter their God-given image of equality. This was a way that Jesus was saying, you can confront your abuser. You can confront this person who is working hard to hurt you. You can do it in a non-violent, loving way. And to do that, you allow them to come face to face with your dignity. That is God-given, not from man, and no man can take it away. And in that moment, what happens is there is a powerful realization of I am looking you face to face. This is exactly what you're going to have to face to continue your hurt, your abuse. And then Jesus says, offer them the other cheek. So if he offers me his other cheek, I have two choices, don't I? Really three. I could walk away. Hello. But if I want to continue abusing, if I want to continue calling him inferior, if I want to continue subjecting him, then I have to do, one, hit him with my left hand, right? Boom. But that, me, that makes me outcast, right? That makes me discarded and shamed. So I'm not going to do that or do what? Hit him as an equal. Thank you, my love. <laughs> I want you to see that. I want you to see the power of this. This nonviolent confrontation that Jesus is calling us to if we're going to love our enemies. That Jesus commands us to do. In the moment when we're getting hurt, in the moment when we're suffering abuse and our flesh goes, no, fight or flight. Jesus said, no, 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 I'm calling you to a third thing. I'm calling you to a third thing that will actually look more like me. A third thing that will actually show this person love. Remember, it's not warm and fuzzies. It's operating out of what God has given us. And requiring that individual to come face to face with what they've been doing. To come face to face with the image of God. Coming face to face with the dignity that they cannot take away. The worth that no abuse or hurt can actually dispel. And then requiring them to make a choice. Do you see the power in that? 
and how we miss it and we misinterpret it so often because we don't understand all of the messages of that culture. It was a peaceful demand for equality. Powerful. Jesus concludes this radical, what I call third way, teaching with a similar theme. Let's look at Luke 6. Jesus is talking about kingdom-minded generosity, and then he concludes with verse 32. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and even the wicked. Wow. Let's go back to Matthew 5. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Verse 47, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Pagans do that, right? And then as if all that weren't so stinking hard. Jesus, he hits us with a bigger doozy, doesn't he? Verse 48, oh, no big deal. Just be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. (laughs) Three revolutionary teachings that I believe will help us to start loving even the hardest to love. Number one, understanding neighbors and enemies. Two, that third way. Not fight, not flight, but standing in peaceful confrontation, requiring individuals to see what they're actually doing, what their message actually is, allowing them to make that choice. And number three, I'm calling this one, put on perfect. I want to read that verse again, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, maybe circle that word perfect if you have your Bibles. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, Let's admit the emotion in that passage. Most of us in this moment check out because I ain't perfect. I'm not even close. And if God is requiring me to be that, then I might as well go do something else. Right? Until we understand that in the original language, that term perfect is teleos. And what that word actually means in its original form, is complete, fulfilled, acting it out, walking in it. If you were Nike, you'd say, just do it, right? That's what we're talking about. Jesus says, okay, I gave you a lot of hard stuff to do. Now go do it. Be perfect. Be complete. Right? Jesus is saying, look, exactly as the Father is showing you through my life as I walk it out, as people hurt me and yet I still die for them, Jesus said, you're to walk this out too. Not after you feel like it. Not after you feel like it. It's... Putting it on before you feel like it. I've talked about this multiple times before, but I have this distinct memory. We had Israel when we were living in the middle of Los Angeles, and she was born in Cedar Sinai, and I have this memory of of us. I was in the hospital a little longer because I had C-section, emergency C-section, and as we're leaving the hospital, I was terrified. I have multiple degrees in child psychology, right? I have degrees in development, all of it, right? Nothing prepares you. 
And as I'm walking, I'm leaving, holding my baby. I love her more than anything. And I'm, I'm like, dear Lord, I am not a capable mom. What the heck are they doing? Why are they letting me leave with this baby? I'm the biggest poser. I have degrees hanging on my wall, and I'm terrified. I don't know how to do this. Right? And all my family, all his family, all live on the East Coast. I'm like alone. You know, JF had to work all the time. So we were, that's where we were. But guess what? I just kept walking in it. Right? The stuff I knew to do. Right? I did it. Until I began to feel like, no, I'm a capable mom. I can totally. Now, there are some days I still didn't feel that. But do you see that's what Jesus is telling us to do? I've given you some really hard instruction. You're not going to feel like you're the person. You're not going to feel like you are the shining emblem of God's perfect love. But walk it out anyway. Take the step. Walk it out. Keep doing it. And as you do it, there will be times that the feeling comes too. And guess what? Sometimes you'll do it and the feeling never comes. (laughs) And that's what the Lord was telling me this week. Diving into this. Still having such a hard time. Loving these people that have hurt me so stinking bad. And doing it in the name of Jesus, of all things, right? And God said, no, no, I'm not asking you to do life with them. I'm not asking you to have warm fuzzies about them. None of that. I'm asking you to respond out of godliness to them. Not out of your own hurt. Out of my love. And watch what I'll do. And even this week, I I thought, well, Lord, will I ever have a moment where I drive by a certain place and won't feel that? And he said, maybe, maybe not, right? But still walk it out. Walk it out. Colossians 3, I love that Paul is instructing this church in Colossae because they are dealing with similar stuff that we deal with, right? And he says this, therefore... As God's chosen people, you're God's chosen, whether you feel like it or not. You're holy and you're dearly loved, whether you feel like it or not. You are that. So what do you do knowing that? You clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. What do you do? You put them on like clothes. You wear them as emblems, not of who you are, of who he is. You bear with each other. You forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. He doesn't say feel it. Do you see that? He says put it on. Put it on like a jacket. Put it on as a covering which binds them all together in perfect unity. And once you continue to do that, walking it out, then maybe, maybe we'll start to feel it. Maybe we won't. But that's not the command. Amen? I'm not going to leave you with just that. Maybe you're like me, and this is what I was like wrestling with the Lord about. I'm like, okay, I get that. These are all revolutionary ideas. Okay, Lord, how do I even start? Like, what do I do tomorrow morning to help me with all this that I'm feeling? And you know what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me? He said, number one, I got three things for you. You know, I'm the queen of threes pray now here's where I don't want you to get confused don't pray God send your wrath send him off a cliff in Jesus name the Lord said pray for them like you pray for your own that stinks it's not fun no you you pray for them the way you pray for yourself Loving others as you do yourself. Okay. 
pray. It is hard to have hateful feelings for someone if you've prayed for them for a solid six months every day. It's hard to want bad towards someone if you've genuinely been on your knees asking God to do for them what you're asking him to do for you. Pray. Number two, super simple, practice. (laughs) Practice. We are not going to feel like it, okay? Do it anyway. Practice what? Practice what scripture says, hospitality, generosity, blessing. Okay, Lord. Now here's the problem with this. If we tell the Lord we're going to practice, he's going to give us opportunities. Isn't it funny how that works? Do it. Put it on. Right? Walk it out. Just do it. Amen? Number three, this is a big one. No repaying. Vengeance is God's. That is not a weight you can bear. You can't carry it. It's not yours. It's not yours to do. It's his. And here's what's cool, you guys. God keeps good books. He does. He's a good, just God. But he doesn't do it in Ashley's way. He doesn't do it in Ashley's time. And so I have to trust him. And I can't take on the repaying myself. I have to leave it to him. And this is my last scripture for you, and it kind of summarizes all those three areas. Romans 12. We'll start in verse 9. Scripture says, love must be sincere. (laughs) Sincere. Sincere love. What does that look like? Loving your enemies. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do you see how Scripture makes it so obvious? Loving your enemy doesn't mean you're loving what they did. Doesn't mean you're loving what they do. Doesn't mean you're doing life with them. Right? Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Operating out of the love of God. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. There are going to be times of hope. There's also going to be times of affliction. And during all of it, you're to be faithful in what? Prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. <gasps> Practice hospitality. There's that practicing part. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. He'll do it, and he'll do it better than you could have ever imagined in his own time, in his own way, because he sees all. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, meaning he's going to do what he deems. You and I are going to do the opposite of repaying. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. How do we not be overcome by evil? We overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. How did Jesus overcome evil? He was the perfect sacrifice dying on a cross for you and for me. Overcoming evil with good. Closing with this story. The famous Christian author Max Licato tells this story about two brothers that were incredibly close. And one's name was Daniel, and he was like massive, muscular dude. And he worked in a gym, and like the physical fitness part of that, that was like his passion. He loved it, and he always dreamed of owning his own gym. And it, the story goes that 
he ends up going bank after bank after bank. And finally, he finds a bank that will give him a loan to buy a gym if he has a cosigner. So he goes to his brother. His brother agrees to co-sign for this massive loan for him. And they go and they do the paperwork together. And then the bank calls him and it says, hey, you can come and pick up your check today. You're finally going to get to buy your dream, owning your own gym. And the story says that Daniel goes into the bank and he's so elated, like he can't even process how excited he is. And he goes up to the banker and the banker said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm here to get the check. And he said, oh, your brother came an hour ago. And he cashed it. And he actually paid off his entire mortgage. So we thought that you had changed your mind. And in that moment, Daniel was just full of rage. How someone that he thought he loved could hurt him in such a tangible way to take everything that he'd worked for. And now his name is still on that loan. And Daniel goes straight to his brother's house and he beats on the door. And his brother shows up at the door holding his baby. And Daniel said, I won't hurt you right now because you're holding your child. But if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. You're dead to me. And they part ways. And the stories that Daniel works and works and he's working for years knowing he's got to pay off this loan that he now gets nothing from. And Daniel and his wife have an encounter with Jesus. And he gives his life to the Lord and he becomes a disciple and they're passionate. But every day he still wrestles with this hate for his brother. Every day he's still struggling. How someone that said they love me could do this. Taking everything monetarily from me. And he still wrestled with that and he prayed, God, how, how will I ever get rid of this? And then one afternoon he and his wife were walking and he sees from behind the shape of his brother. And he says in that moment, he was full. Start, he felt the rage start to rise up in him. And he thought, I, oh, I just want to hurt him so badly the way that he's hurt me. And in Daniel's own words, he described that as he got closer to his brother, he began to look at his face. His brother still hadn't seen him yet. And he said, as I was approaching him from afar, I saw the side of his profile. And I thought, God, that looks like our dad. And as I turned, Daniel still hadn't seen me, but I saw his eyes and gosh, the way he was gazing, my, my dad does that. It was, it's so much like our father. And as he was laughing at something his child was doing, he said, that laugh is just like dad's. And Daniel described as he began to become face to face with his brother, he saw the image of his father. And in that moment, his enemy became his brother once again. Now, I'm not stupid here this morning. That's a beautiful story, and it's powerful, and it's nice for them, but that ain't happened for me yet. But you know what the Lord spoke to me this week? If you'll start to see me in them. Not their actions, but know that I created them in my image too. And just because they're not walking in it doesn't mean they're not loved. Doesn't mean they're not my child just because they are walking in something else. So if you focus, Ashley, on starting to just begin to see my image in them, maybe they'll be less your enemy and more your brother. Less your enemy and more of the other child of God too. And that's my prayer for us today. Not that we'll wake up in the morning and the button will be pushed and we'll all be fixed and loving everyone perfectly. Mm -mm. 
but that we'll focus on, Lord, just help us to see glimpses of you in this individual. Help me to be reminded by the prayer, by the practice, that I am not to repay. You're the only one who has the privilege of doing that. And I release that to you, Lord. And I'm going to act in love. I'm going to respond to my neighbor and my enemy. Right? Whether it's the person who disagrees or the person that I haven't ever really seen as fully equal. Loving both. Sometimes requiring me to operate in that third way. Not fight, not flight. But that nonviolent confrontation. That peaceful confrontation. That activism that Jesus actually is commanding us to do. Not an option. A command. Helping people to understand what they're even operating in. Sometimes people have no clue. Helping them to come face to face with the fact that we're created in God's image too. And then they can decide what to do with that. Allowing us to put on perfect. Not perfect in the way we think, right? But completion. Allowing what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through us. Allowing Him to complete it. How do we do that? Inviting the Holy Spirit in and walking it out. You know, sometimes we read the scriptures that talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And we see them as a checklist. Okay, I got to do this. Love, joy, peace. I got to practice this. No, no, no. No, you practice operating in the Spirit and those flow out of you. We get the command mixed up, don't we? We think, it, oh, I'm commanded to have joy. I'm commanded. No, no, no. You're commanded to operate in the Spirit of God. And then those things just flow out of you. That's how we put on perfect. Amen? I want to pray for you. If you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. We invite you to do that. Encourage you to do that. He has so much for you. And maybe you never said yes to him because you feel like, man, all this list of things to do, it just feels too difficult. Yeah, we're with you. We feel that too. Many days. The idea there is to just continue to operate in his love, allowing his spirit in and through you to transform you. To look more and more like him. We use these churchy phrases, glory to glory. You know what that means? With every step, I'm looking a little more like Jesus. Just a little more. Sometimes it takes practice. Sometimes I feel like it. Sometimes I don't. Right? But still operating in everything that he's calling us to. If you want to say yes to him, just do it right now. You can pray the prayer in your mind. You can whisper it. He knows every thought, and he still chooses you. He has amazing things for you. He desires to change the world through you. That's his will. And he loves you perfectly, and he knows you're going to screw up, and he still chooses you. Lord, every person here that is saying yes to you right now, God, I pray that they have a supernatural experience with you. But God, if they're not filled with the emotions and feelings that maybe they thought they would, God, I ask that you would move in spite of that. That you would help us to understand, Lord, that we don't have to feel forgiven to be forgiven. That we are forgiven. That the second we ask you, that is truth. That your forgiveness is perfect. And that even if our feelings get in the way, God, that you, you don't operate according to that. You operate according to your promises. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, for even your commands. The ones that seem out of reach. The ones that seem, Lord, we can't possibly do that. But, Lord, we ask that you would help us by the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord, to love our neighbors and our enemies to operate in loving ways toward them so that we can point them and others to you. Lord, help us with this third way, this peaceful confrontation 
that is the most loving way, that is the most godly way, that helps people to understand what they're even doing to others. And Lord, we ask God that you would help us to put on perfect, to just practice it, to walk it out in the way that you've called us to, so that we can look more like you, so that we can show your love to everyone we encounter. God, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you would continue this week. Give us opportunities, Lord, to practice. (gasps) Did you really pray that? Yes, you did. Lord, give us opportunities. When someone disagrees, that we can still act lovingly toward them. Lord, that with every step, we'll look more like you. We love you, God. We thank you. We ask that you do it today and tomorrow and the next day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Stand to your feet. If you have been a part of Growth Track at all, or maybe you just want to jump in, I'm literally going to run down the hall and be teaching that in just a few minutes. Uh, It is week two, I believe, of Growth Track, and so I'm so excited for that. Uh, We also have some next steps for you. If you've said yes to Jesus for the very first time, or maybe you're rededicating your life, or you want to connect with someone, we're going to have a prayer team down front. We'd love to pray with you. But also, maybe if you're not comfortable with that yet, just text the word PACIFIC to 84576. We want to connect with you. We want to resource you. You're not in this alone. Amen? So, like I said, prayer team, come forward. Growth track. And if you've never connected with a small group or maybe a dream team, maybe stop by the info desk in the lobby and check that out today. Amen? Father, we thank you, Lord, for every person here. God, I pray your blessings upon them. Lord, as they go this week, that they would shine your light and your love. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We will see you next Sunday.